who you are is more important than what you actually do or sell. Your whole life is about being somebody. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan, and today, today I'm super excited about my guest who has students that have booked themselves on 5,586 plus network TV appearances. And he's an author of several amazing books, several of which I've read myself. And before we dive into this, because you're gonna wanna share this, and I'm asking you to share this with at least three people today, because I know a lot of people out there have desires to uh, move forward in life and accomplish great things. It's a little hard to do that when you have no visibility. And we're gonna talk about a lot of that today. And I wanna see you accelerate. And the only way we grow, because we don't take sponsors, we don't take promos, nothing. The only way we grow is with your help. Thank you for being a part of this team. And today my guest also went to the Wharton Business School. That wasn't in the bio I was given, but I know of this about him because he's amazing and a great friend who has taught me a lot. Clint Arthur, welcome to the show. Amen, brother. Great to be with you and great to be all in. <laughs> I love it, man. This has been a long time coming, and I said that a little bit ago, too. You know, it's I'm grateful to have you in my life and have you see even the journey that I've been on and even reciprocate and watch the journey that you been on too because you're a mentor of mine you've become a really really good friend of mine you've done a lot of amazing things but i feel that one of the reasons why you've done all these amazing things is because you continue to evolve yourself constant evolution and never-ending improvement that's the motto and you know it, it really is about deepening one's character and understanding of what the heck is really going on in the world. That's what life is all about, especially the life of a man. And I'm trying to be the best man I can. That's awesome. I love that. That's an interesting topic for today's world too, isn't it? Because your new book, Author of, of Wisdom of the Men, well, no, mm -hmm. Wisdom of the Men is the name of the book. I We'll get into that, but yeah, there it is right there. We'll have a photo of that too. And we're also going to put a link to the Amazon copy in the show notes where you can go and grab that too. But as we, as we look at masculinity these days, that's almost becoming like a bad word, isn't it? You know, in a lot of circles. Well, it, it is becoming tougher and tougher, especially to be a middle-aged white guy like me. You're young. You're still young. I'm a full-fledged middle-aged white guy. And that's the least marketable demographic to be. <laughs> but and, and also, it's the most competitive. There's a lot of middle-aged white guys who have a lot of money and a lot of passion for what they're doing. And they're trying to make it happen while they still can. And that's really what I'm all about. You know, I, I became a writer because I was inspired by my high school creative writing teacher. His name was Frank McCourt. He won the Pulitzer Prize for his memoir, Angela's Ashes, which is about his impoverished childhood in Ireland. And he inspired me and a lot of people to want to be writers. And about two years ago, I was looking at his book and I was, I was, I was holding it in my hands and I was thinking to myself, you know, I've written a lot of stuff, but I haven't written anything as hardcore and developed and all in as that book. And what I tried to do in this book was to do a book that was 
completely all in and it's got photos in it from my whole life here there where was that one there it is uh there's george clooney holding my daughter you know i put my whole life in this book and i really tried my best to write something that would be everything i could do i was all in with this book all a hundred percent all in and the only way that i like edited anything out was i i was putting together the list of who were the men that gave me wisdom in my life and i had a long list had more than a hundred names on that list and i realized if the only ones i wrote about were the unicorns, the George Clooney's, Mick Jagger, Mike Tyson, yeah. Dr. Oz. If all I wrote about was the superstars, that I would have a huge book. And I have 329 pages of material only about the five presidents of the United States and the biggest celebrities in the world, all of whom I've personally met and learned valuable lessons from. And it's all in Wisdom of the Men. That's very cool. So these are experiences and conversations that you've had with these individuals. And I, I know I've heard some of these quotes, right? Like Mike Tyson is one of my favorite ones that you have. Uh, <laughs> I said, champ, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, stay humble. And that's what he said. <laughs> and that's how he said it. And, you know, that was actually, you know, it was around the time of the, Las Vegas shooting. I went yeah. there to meet Mike Tyson and that's the night of the shooting. And, you know, we, he, we went to see his show and then we were going to meet him after the show. And then instead of meeting Mike Tyson, the manager of the theater comes out and says, ladies and gentlemen, there's an active shooter event going on right now on the strip, very close mm -hmm. to here. We just want you to stay put right here in your chairs. And I'm like, whoa, we are trapped in a basement room in the MGM Grand. If somebody came in with the machine gun i'd be dead and like 30 minutes later they said okay if you want to leave you can leave and i'd been working in las vegas for decades and i said to my friends and my wife follow me i know how to get us out of here and i took us all through the back corridors of the mgm grand out the the self-parking out onto colval and then we went and had burgers and milkshakes at the hard rock hotel until everything was all clear but it was a very intense thing uh trying to meet mike tyson yeah no joke now i mentioned wharton business school before we jumped on and you know that I, my company has filed for a public offering now at this point and our ipo's imminent thank you by the way thank you for the the soft clap the uh when i talked <laughs> with you on the phone a couple weeks ago you said i bet you it took you three times as long right <laughs> i was like yes and i bet you it took you three times as much money and i said yes and you said, well, that's one of the things they teach you at the Warden Business School. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of big names that went to that school, too. Even like Elon Musk that, that went to Wharton. You know, th th it's an incredible, prestigious school. Why did you go there? When I was 14 years old, I was reading a book and the lead character was a international business tycoon playboy. And he seemed really cool to me. And he went to this thing called the Wharton Business School. And I looked it up in the encyclopedia in the W book of the encyclopedia. That was like Google in books in those days. And 
it was a real thing. And it was the school where the titans of industry would send their kids to learn about business. And when I was 14, I made up my mind, I want to go to the Wharton Business School, the best business school in the world. I was hoping I could become somebody special. You see, in my mind at that time, uh, I was the cause of all my, my family's problems. You know, when you're a little kid, you think it's all about you. And my parents were always arguing and I thought that was my fault. And I thought if maybe if I could become somebody special by going to the best business school in the world, maybe they'd stop arguing. Well, I graduate from Wharton Business School and I come home to get the attaboys. And what happens? My parents get into the hugest fight of all time. My dad storms out of the house. I turn to my mom. I actually said, hey, mom, you know, the way he resents you all these years, have you been cheating on dad? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, holy cow, did I just actually ask that rude question of my own mother? And then I'm thinking, where did that question even come from? I never even thought about that idea before. And then I'm thinking, how come she ain't answering the question? <laughs> and then she says, he's not your real father. Your real father was a doctor on the fertility clinic we went to for six years. And you look just like that guy. Say what? Mama? And imagine how you would feel if everything thought you knew about who you were. Poof. So the next day, I wake up not knowing who I am anymore, Not certainly not knowing what I want to be anymore. I call up the investment bank on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center. Sir, Mr. Vice President, I appreciate the offer, but I've decided I don't want to be an investment banker anymore. And what do I do? Naturally, I run off to Hollywood. Most people go to Hollywood to lose themselves. I went there to find myself, and I found myself becoming a very special person, just not quite the one I had always imagined I would be. I had become the Wharton taxi driver. Yes. <laughs> Was that on the side of the cab? <laughs> no, that's just, that's just who I was. Yeah. You know, people would say, what the heck are you doing driving a cab? You're the best looking cab driver, the most educated cab driver. You went to Wharton. What? And, you know, but the triplet rule, which started this whole thing, that was one of the lessons from my entrepreneurial management professor, one of my favorites. His name is Miles Bass. He's got a chapter in here. Look, all the chapters, they're like Nigel Faraz, Simon Cowell, Dog the Bounty Hunter, Joe, Joe Biden, you know, Evander Holyfield. There's only very few that that were not like name brand people. Andy Warhol, Halston. Yeah. Uh, ben Franklin has a chapter because he founded the University of Pennsylvania. And in the Ben Franklin chapter is Miles Bass. And he's the one who taught me the triplet rule. Whatever you think it's going to cost, whatever you think it's going to take in terms of time, triple it. And that's the rule that works all the time that was bang on for me man i mean even all the consultants now the consultants that i hired didn't go to wharton right <laughs> so the, the team that i hired didn't go to wharton so they set these expectations and they're pretty bright dudes you know and, and girls they, they extremely knowledgeable all the way down to securities attorneys that that have done you know 1400 of these types of offerings i mean just incredible but the entire time, it's like when you try to come over these roadblocks and then add a pandemic into it, too, which was interesting from a government shutdown perspective, it just delayed everything. But that's OK. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's going to take what it's going to take. But yeah. this whole 
you know, COVID BS for every delay or reduction in quality or reduction in service or increase in price. Everything, everything is COVID this, COVID that. And it's just such BS. It's just an excuse for people to give you less and charge you more. That's a truth bomb. You know, I was talking about getting like a fireball sound for the show, too, because, uh, you know, that's bringing the fire, man, right there. (laughs) I love it. That's so awesome, because even your professor, your entrepreneurial professor made it into your book. That's that's incredible. I mean, just the knowledge that you've gained over the years. I remember when we first met also and when this was uh, this was at a an event in my industry and I missed your session when you were talking about, you know, what it is that you do. And then I, I just saw your, your, your booth, right? And I remember this visually because you had you on a pop-up banner that was you on the NASDAQ Jumbotron. And then behind that was a whole bunch of other imagery of you. But then your, your booth banner, the big backdrop, was pushed out a little bit. And you had a closing room behind the banner. <laughs> I walked up and talked to you and I just saw all these images. I missed your session, but I read the little bio in the pamphlet or whatever it was that they passed out. I'm like, this seems like it's something worthwhile for my time. And I remember when we were talking about this, you're like, well, we, we can have you speak at NASDAQ, you know, and then there's also Harvard, the, the Harvard Club of Boston. I'm like, cool, that sounds great. And then you're like, then there's all the media stuff too. And you're going through what I could do and all this stuff. And then you get down and like, or you could do everything. That's called the big boy package. <laughs> that's how you phrased it. I mean, to me, it was being all in. And that's where we, how we first met. But then that started this journey of just incredible learnings and experiences and lots of TV appearances for me, lots and lots of TV appearances to now to where I'm on global networks and national networks. And just seeing you go through that, you know, you walk the walk too. That's what I've seen. You know, because you continue to do TV appearances to this date. Hey, one of my other books, my book right before this one is called Celebrity Entrepreneurship. And what I have found is that there's really five and a half things that you can do as an entrepreneur to position yourself as somebody special. My whole life is about being somebody special. And if you want to get paid a lot of money and work with great clients who who are serious and committed and want to go places and will do what you tell them to do, and you need to charge them a lot of money and you need to have their admiration Okay. And there's five and a half ways to develop that status in the eyes of customers and prospects or clients and prospects. And one of the ways is being a VIP speaker, speaking at very important places. Another way is by going on TV, news and talk shows, podcasts, media, all media is good. But I think TV is best because it gives you video. Not all podcasts have video. Then there's writing best-selling books wisdom of the men being my latest and then there is winning awards this book has been nominated for a pulitzer prize even the nomination for an award can be a very helpful thing and then last but not least is what i call celebrity attachment and that is when you're in photos with major celebrities 
if you're smart, you do what I do. Notice I've been telling you stories about major celebrities, not just being in photos with them. And it's the stories which are the best because everything today is story-based. And then there's the half thing. And the half thing is what I call celebrity lifestyle marketing assets. And these are pictures of you, generally pictures or videos of you living the celebrity lifestyle that people aspire to. I have great pictures of me and my wife in bathrobes with the Eiffel Tower in the bath in the background, you know, taken from our hotel suite. I have a picture of us in Red Square with that crazy mushroom cap church in the background. You know, those kinds of celebrity lifestyle stuff like all the pictures and videos of our villas in Acapulco. We have purchased some villas in the millionaire, billionaire neighborhood of Mexico, the best neighborhood where all the billionaires go to take their vacations. And our stuff, our, our imagery from our luxury villas in Acapulco is perfect celebrity lifestyle marketing assets. That's incredible. Those are the five and a half things. Yeah. The five and a half. So, yeah, I love wait. the half. <laughs> and I, I know, right? It's it's a good thing. And I know yeah. that. And, and I keep doing all this stuff. People people say I walk the walk because when does a shark stop swimming? When it's dead. That's when yeah. I'm going to stop doing all those things. When you stop seeing new, fresh marketing for Clint, then I'm dead. Right on. Yeah. And that's a, that's an interesting perspective, too, because uh, there's been times, even with this show and everybody listening, you know, because this show is now top 20 in some countries, top some 100 in some others. You know, we're approaching that now in the U.S. and it's awesome. But there's been times to where you start to think, and I'm sure this creeps up in your mind sometimes because we're human. Right. I'm making an assumption. It was like, when's when's enough enough? You know, that's what Rondi said. You know, Rondi Lambeth, he yeah. said, Grant Cardone said to him, when is enough enough? And I'm telling you, I, I know when enough is enough. When you're dead, that's when, you're when dead. enough is you enough. Because, you know, all of these, I, yeah. I, I make it my business to study all of these successful celebrity entrepreneurs, the highest ranking one of which is either Tony Robbins or Grant Cardone. So yeah. one of those two. And even both of those guys are nobodies. There's somebody to you and me. There's somebody to their target market. Yeah. But to the general population, I can show you video after video after video on my phone of baristas in Starbucks and clerks at CVS. And I say, what do you think of Tony Robbins? And they say, Tony who? What do you think of Grant Cardone? Yeah, right on. He's an actor. Yeah. They don't know who these people are. And, you know, when what else can you do besides publish best-selling books go on tv uh speak in important places get pictures with celebrities and win awards what else can you actually do that doesn't cost a lot of money every single day for you to keep feeding the machine for ads 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 there's nothing else that you can do that gets you the mileage of those five things plus the half thing the lifestyle marketing. But I do want to use a cautionary tale. You know, one of my clients, you know her, uh, she uses her Harvard imagery 
as her cover image on Facebook, but she doesn't have any more stuff. She only has that one piece. Mm. All the rest of her marketing is only lifestyle marketing. Yeah. And it's a huge mistake because it positions you as a rich kid or the wife of a rich guy yeah. and not a mover and shaker. So that's why I only give it that half. It's not a full thing. It's only to be used in conjunction with the other five things. Right on. With all the, what I like to call the real shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. The real stuff. Yes. yes. Right on. That's, uh, this isn't a story I told you yet because this just happened two weeks ago. But, you know, you were talking about Grant Cardone and Tony Robbins and all that known in our industry. And it was fun for me because I was at a, a, a Kaseya conference in this, you know, it's in this industry. I was the keynote speaker that was there around mergers and acquisitions. Phenomenal event. I put on a party of 250 people at the Hakkasan in the MGM Grand. I had aerial acrobatic artists floating up. My name was in gold, right? My logo was in gold on the video wall that was there. And I was walking down the escalator because there's other conferences going on there, right? And I was walking down the escalator. And this is as a result, I'm saying this is a testimonial to you, right? Because of everything that I've learned from you and have now applied. I'm walking down the escalator and this guy looks up the escalator and goes, Grant Cardone! I was like, no. And he's like, no, 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 wait, wait, it's Rick, Rick. And I'm like, Jordan. He's like, yes, you're the guy with the podcast. <laughs> and then he's like, then he goes, I got to get a selfie with you and send it to my son. Yeah. Wow. But that type of recognition, man, is because you're talking about the movers and the shakers, you know, and you know me well. I've got ethical reasons behind what I'm doing and that I genuinely want to help people. That's why I filed for a public offering with cybersecurity. But the only thing that's positioned me that way is those five and a half things that you're talking about. You know, I've taken those now and tried to amplify those. And thank you. This is just a public thank you out to 40 something countries right on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that recognition. I really do. And you're right. You know, it is those five and a half things that make all the difference. They are the real things. All the rest of it is either a derivative of those things, like taking taking all of your media and then putting it in Facebook ads or whatever, or Instagram yeah. ads, whatever you want to do. That's just derivative of those five and a half things. And without those five and a half things, you don't really have it. I mean, you know, uh, what was that guy? There's people who spend a lot of money on ads on Facebook or on, on YouTube and they, they don't come off as real celebrities. Maybe they are, they may be successful. They may make a lot of money, but it costs them a lot of money. I'll never forget when I asked Joe Polish, I said, Joe, what's it cost to be Joe Polish? He said, what do you mean? I go, well, you spend money promoting your personal brand on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, you do advertise, right? He goes, yeah. And I go, well, what does that cost? He goes, I guess I spend about a million a year. Yeah. Okay, great. On a personal brand. And it, it, it pays off, but a lot of people don't have that million to yeah. put into that. And if you're just starting out and you put a million dollars in, you're probably not going to get the same results as an experienced marketer like Joe Polish, who's been doing it for 25 years. Sure. You know, and this is the thing that I resent so much about these like 
push button systems that they advertise, you know, where it's going to solve all your problems. They don't tell you about the $250,000 learning curve that an experienced marketer is going to have using yeah. their system, let alone a newbie. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're much better off investing your sweat equity and pursuing these five and a half real things because these five and a half real things will give you real experiences and put you into real high pressure situations where you will have to perform and do and be and that's all going to help you to have more that's incredible man I know in your book, I'm sure you have stories too about a couple of the presidents that you've met, you know, because I know you've been, at least for, to my knowledge, it's been president of five of them. Wow, goodness. That's incredible. What le- have you seen any consistencies in the lessons that you've learned from each of those? No, they're very different <laughs> lessons, really. I mean, they're different, very different people. I met the first president I met was George H.W. Bush when he was walking through the back corridors of the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas, I was schmoozing one of my French chef clients at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and he's stirring lobster bisque with a giant blender, a handheld blender. And I said to him, hey, man, you're the executive chef of the Bulu Brasserie at the Wynn. You got 20 sous chefs working for you. Why don't you get one of them? to mix this stuff. And he goes, this is my métier. I love it. And right at that moment, boom, there goes George Bush and two secret service agents just strolling through the kitchens. La-di-da-di-da. And I go, holy, that's the president of the United States. He goes, it is? Like he had no clue. So I go running out into the dining room and there he is looking around at the lake, you know, the wind lake back there. And I go over to the secret service guy and I go, can I get a picture with the president? Because I had been to this seminar and my big takeaway from that seminar this way, way back, back in like 2005, my big takeaway from this seminar was always carry a little digital camera in your pocket because if you meet anyone special you'll want to take a picture that was the first time it ever worked for me and i pull out my camera secret service guy snaps the picture of me and the president and i say sir what's the most important thing you ever learned he goes well that's a very big question young man but i'd have to say if there's something you love doing that you should keep doing it And if you look at the picture of me and George Bush in the book, you will see that his necktie that he's wearing on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. has little pictures of little parachute jumpers on the necktie. And H.W. Bush was famous for loving jumping out of airplanes. He did it on his 80th birthday. And the guy was following his own advice and walking his talk. So, you know, that, that was my first one. And that's the kind of wisdom that I have in this book. It's not, you know, what people are expecting. It really is. It's amazing though, because I mean, just those little things, I think out of, you know, let's say you had George HW Bush or Donald Trump on your podcast, you know, or, or actually sit down and interview them for the whole time. I think those little tidbits can sometimes teach a lot more than what you can get out of even a whole conversation because now you get to apply it with the filter of your own life. And the cool part is it's different for you. It's different for a hundred other people, but they all take something away from it. Look, that's the thing that people don't get about this book. They think they're reading this for the advice of what the people say. And yes, 
you know, George Bush's advice is important, but that whole chapter goes into the metier. See, the metier is what you love. And that's that French chef. He loves mixing. He loves cooking. Right. But the problem is, and this is fascinating. When you have a metier, when you love what you do, you will find that you will do it for free. Hmm. And that is problematic for a person who wants to make a lot of money. I remember when I was chasing the Hollywood dream for 13 years as a screenwriter and a taxi driver. And people would say, you know, how are you doing financially? And I'd say, I don't even care about the money. I just want to work. I just want to have a career. See, it was my metier. And that's the problem with being a writer is that as your metier, it can hold you back. Now with butter, I never had that problem. Butter, I didn't, I didn't even understand the product. I didn't love the product. I just knew that these chefs were going crazy about my butter and they would pay me a lot of money. And if I didn't make a lot of money from the deal, I wouldn't do the deal. I wasn't in business just for a metier. I was in business to make money. And so in that chapter about doing what you love, I go deep into this idea that when you should do what you love, but not for your business, you should do stuff that you don't care about in business because it's not about loving what you do. It's about making money. That's what business is about. For sure. <laughs> I love that. No one That's ever the- tells you that. No one has ever said, don't do what you love. Do what makes you money. Yep. Yep. Right on. Mike Rowe had a similar statement to that. Have you ever read his uh, around no. this too? He said, I found something that I was good at. Then I learned to like it. Then I yes. got rich. There was yes. no in there when he said love <laughs> Not at all. But That's- the reason he liked it is because he decided to make money at it. Look, this wisdom of the men comes from my experiences starting out with the men's self-help movement. That's how I became a coach. I became a team leader of a men's self-help team. And the, the big guru of all the men's teams was a guy named Justin Sterling. And he would always say, a man will love what he is good at. And once I got like, I'll never forget one of my business coaches was a guy named Paul Roth. He was the guy who really helped me to get out from behind the wheel of a taxi. And and he said, how do you feel about sales? And I said, I don't really like sales. He goes, you got to learn to love sales. And when I started getting great at sales and started loving sales, man, it, it, you know, that changes everything. It's, but it's only when you're really good at it that you really love it until then it's work. It's hard. It's ego bruising. But when you get really good at something then it's ego building and that's why you love it. Maybe that's why you love a woman. When a woman loves you, it builds your ego. And you know, we men, we need these powerful egos in order to compete and survive. Truth, truth, my man, this podcast is maybe one of my metiers. Because it's not something where I charge to do this. You know, the guests come on. I love promoting other people. I don't take sponsorships. I don't monetize the show at all. You know, but now that it's continued to grow, I continue to push it out. And it's just something I enjoy doing. It contributes to business maybe a little bit. But at the same time, it's just I love this is part of who I am. You know, similar, you know, my background in music, too. I never took money for doing that. You know, for everything that I did within the church arena, too. Well, look, that is, that's your metier being a musician. That's something that you loved and therefore you didn't make a lot of money, but having a business podcast like this all in, this is similar to what Grant Cardone is doing. Look, when, when I met Grant Cardone, I said, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, your number one problem as an entrepreneur is that nobody knows who you are. Mm -hmm. And I said, is there anything you would have done different? And he said, 
I would have spent more money sooner on marketing. Well, this is you spending more money as soon as you can on marketing because you positioning yourself as the host, as a thought leader, meeting lots of people, having your own media, having your own media is a very good thing to do. And that's exactly what this is. This will allow you to bring on potential investors. This will allow you to bring on potential partners, people higher up than you, that you celebrities that you can attach to. It's a very useful thing to have your own media. And it's also good practice for you for you when you're going to appear in other media as well. So it's, it's all good for you to do this. For sure. Thank you. That's, uh, that's so true as well, especially the practice side of it. It's, it's fun looking back to, and I'm sure you have the same scenario. You, you even show this. And I remember Celebrity Launchpad. Right. This was the, for those who, who are listening, Celebrity Launchpad was the first event that I ever did with Clint. And it was training, you know, almost like at gunpoint, I would have to say, <laughs> just short of that, but in a very good way, because you're baptized in fire, you pitch TV producers and you pray to God that you're going to get on. Uh, but you do, you know, Clint has always guaranteed three appearances. I think the first time I booked six if I remember that way, you know, and then I did subsequent ones and was able to book all of them, you know, it became home runs. But I remember a clip that you played uh, to where it was one of your very first ones ever. And I remember you wearing a tan suit, something like that. And, and you had, you, you, you had this haircut that you got the day before that you said that you absolutely hated. And it was just one, you know, it was like lesson after lesson around, Hey, when you look back at your first stuff and I still do the same thing. I still have my very first TV appearance up on my media page from Albuquerque, New Mexico, when there was a substitute host and to where I looked the, like the most ridiculous thing, not even a version of myself today, something so far removed that is absolutely incredible. But all of this has been that practice. You know, how many times would you say that you need to go on TV before you're ready to do some of the bigger things? Well, you know, when I got on the Today Show, it was my 57th television appearance. And I thank God for every single one that came before it because it was really high pressure. Yeah. A thousand lights in the ceiling and at least 10 cameras in the studio and Brooke Shields sitting six feet across from me. And it's you think, oh, I've watched a lot of TV. How hard can it be? It's not easy to do great on TV. There's a lot of stuff that goes into being a good guest on video. And how many appearances should you do before you start doing national stuff? You know, you're going to do it when you do it. But ideally, you want 20, 30. You want to feel like you've paid enough dues so that you're not a total newbie. You're not a total rookie who's just winging it and faking it. Yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm faking it. I want to feel like I deserve it. I want to feel like I've earned it. And I want to feel like I've done everything I could to prepare. And now I've put all my best work in and I'm ready to dominate. And that's, that's exactly why this book is nominated for a Pulitzer Prize because I know that yeah. it's an amazing book. And I, and I, this is like my 30th book that I've written in my life at least. And, but, but I never really put the effort and the work into producing a volume like this, just loaded with stories. It's 91,000 words. That's wow. a lot of words. It's a lot of words. That's incredible. My man, you have clintarthur.tv. You're at Instagram at clintarthur.tv, facebook.com slash clintarthur. 
And your book, I'm assuming, is on Amazon, of course. And I have one final question for you. You ready? What's the most important thing you've ever learned? <laughs> that who you are is more important than what you actually do or sell. Your whole life is about being somebody. That's You want to be somebody to yourself. You want to be somebody to somebody else who you really care about. And ideally, you want to be somebody in the world who leaves this world a better place. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for being on. I always love our combos. Same here. Thanks for having me and keep being all in.